Good morning, The Way Church. Holy moly, this podium is much heavier than it looks. I was picked it up and I was like, it gave me some fresh look at Jeff and carrying this podium up here, but I am so excited to be with you guys this morning. If I say tonight, it's because I'm used to preaching at youth ministry, so you just go ahead and bypass that, but um, yeah, I'm pumped. Uh, The message that we're going to be talking about tonight, or see, there it goes, this morning, is uh, it's something that was born out of a series that we're going through in youth ministry. And I started talking with Mark about this series, and then he said, you know what, that might be a good message to talk about in Asia when we go on our trip. I was like, okay, and then all of a sudden, we start having conversations, and then we go up to Pastor Jeff, and then Pastor Jeff's like, oh, maybe you should teach that before you actually go on the trip. And I was like, man, this could be a unique opportunity where you guys got to see behind the curtain of youth ministry, be a part of the extension of our ministry in Asia, and then hopefully it could be edifying for our own body. So I'm super pumped about the message. Um, What have we been up to in youth group? What have we been talking about? We've been talking about this series called Looking Under the Bed. Looking under the bed. I kind of like that. Looking under the bed. We're talking about how do we overcome fear in our lives? How do we overcome fear in our lives? So when I think of fear, I think of childhood. Those old childhood fears when I used to cry and I used to scream. Mom, you got to come into the room. You got to come right now. And she comes busting into the room. You got to check under my bed for monsters. You got to check the closet for monsters. And I didn't just make her check once. She had to check twice because I heard something. I saw something there. So when I think about fear, I think about those moments, and I start asking the question, what, what could happen if we could look under the bed of our own lives? If we peeled back the layers, what kind of fear would we find there? So that led to the next question. How do we do this message? How do we, how do we communicate this to students? And I said, I could guess. I could pick and choose. I could, I could kind of predict what students are dealing with. Or I could let the students tell me for themselves. So we split up into small groups. I asked them, if you could write down anonymously on a piece of paper, what, would, what are you afraid of? What would you have written down? They wrote, they wrote down all these fears. Not your phobias, not snakes or spiders or rats, but those core fears, those true fears that kind of rise to the surface, those things that you are afraid of. And I hope that you know that the stuff that the students wrote down are not so much different than what we deal with as adults. Fear of failure. Fear of the future. Fear of death. The fear of missing out. And the fifth one, the one that we're going to talk about this morning, ooh, it's real. It's raw. It's one of the, it kind of branches into those areas of church where we're kind of afraid to talk about because, man, what, if I said this, what would people think? It was real, guys. The students wrote down, the fear of God letting us down. Whew. What do you do when what you fear most is not that people will let you down? We almost expect that, right? We live in a broken world. We hear that and we know that. And we, we're sinners and we make mistakes. We expect people to let us down. But what do we do when what we fear most is not that people will let us down, but God? 
that he won't show up, that, you, that you're in this season of your life, you're in the midst of this struggle in your life, and you're begging, you're pleading with God, and all you're met with is silence. What do you do when what you fear most is God letting you down? As we kind of break down this idea, as we broke this down for students, turn with me in your Bibles. I don't have slides today, so I hope you brought your Bible. Uh, if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Matthew 8, uh, verse 23. Uh, before we start reading, I need you guys to help me out a little bit. So I want you to do me a favor. I want you to keep track of what Jesus is doing in the text. Because what Jesus is doing, his actions, his behaviors are kind of going to outline what we're going to be talking about in this message. So keep track of what Jesus is doing. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Follow me as I read. This is God's word. Then he got into the boat, Jesus. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went. They woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. This is God's word. May it fill our minds, flow from our lips, find a home in our very hearts. Did you keep track of Jesus? Did you pay attention to what Jesus is doing and the story, the actions that he's taking? The first thing we see Jesus doing is right there in verse 23. Then he, Jesus, got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake. Jesus tells them to get in the boat. We're going to go to the other side. We're on the Sea of Galilee. That's a couple miles. It's going to take a while to sail across, but we're trying to get from this side of the lake to the other side of the lake. So him and his disciples, they get inside the boat. What does the text say? Suddenly. Suddenly, a storm comes up on the lake. They didn't expect it. It came out of nowhere. They didn't see it coming. Suddenly, they were surprised. But when I come to the text and I read this, I ask the question, did the storm surprise Jesus? No. God knows all things. He knew what would happen when they got in the boat. He knew that the storm was coming. He led, he, he led the disciples into the storm. He knew the storm was coming. He led them into the storm anyways. You see, this brings, up a, this brings up something. As Christians, I think we fall into this trap. I think we fall into this trap of thinking that by following Jesus, we somehow become storm-proof. 
that Jesus is some kind of card that sits in our back pocket. And because we're a follower of Jesus, we get to slam that card on the table. And, and that Jesus card somehow gets to help us dip and dodge through the struggles. Oh, oh I, I experience a little pain. I'm going to throw the Jesus card down, and I'm not going to experience that. Like Jesus is some type of insulation so we don't have to experience sorrow, that we don't have to experience grief, that we don't have to experience hardship in our lives. And can I tell you, that's not true. Struggle is a part of life. In fact, when Peter talks about this, he says in terms of persecution, don't act like something strange is happening to you. Persecution is guaranteed. Struggle is guaranteed. Hardship is guaranteed. Difficulty is guaranteed. You, me, we are not stormproof. So Jesus leads them into the storm. Look at verse 24. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Do you ever have these moments when you're reading scripture where it becomes more than text? becomes more than just words on a page, but the, the words start invoking images in your mind. You start invoking the imagination, and you start thinking about and asking some strange questions. Questions like, what was it like? What was it like? What was it like to be with Jesus in the boat that day? What was it like to, to, to experience that storm? You have the disciples. They're on a lake. These are fishermen, They've been on lakes before. They've been fishing before. Jesus says, we're going to go from this side to the other side. So they're okay, Jesus, let's go. Jesus falls asleep. They're going through, and maybe, maybe they saw the storm clouds rolling over the hills. Maybe they said, oh, maybe if, we just, maybe if we just sail better, if we just paddle harder, maybe we'll get there before the storm comes. Or maybe it really was just that unexpected. They got caught up in conversation, and when they, the next time they looked, the storm was already upon them. Regardless, they're sitting in the boat, and the, and the storm starts, starts, to, starts to come. They, the wind starts to howl. The, the waves start to rise. Can you hear it? Can you hear it when the, when, the, when the waves hit the side of the boat? Could you hear the crack? Could you hear the way the wood bends? You hear the way the wind howls as it whip, whips across the water and hits them in the face. Could you taste lake water on your lips? Furious storm. The waves are so high that they're getting into the boat. Maybe people are over there trying to get the water out. They believe they're going to die. They believe they're going to, to drown. The, the threat is real. The danger is real. And what is Jesus doing? He's asleep. He's asleep. Do you ever feel that way in your struggles? Jesus, I'm struggling here. I'm in the midst of this depression. I'm in the midst of this situation. I don't know what to do. Jesus, I'm, I'm experiencing pain over here. Jesus, Jesus, are you there? But all you were met with was silence. You felt like Jesus was sleeping on you. You felt like Jesus wasn't listening. Maybe you started to believe that Jesus was unconcerned, that, that God didn't notice, that God didn't care. You've been there before? 
If you felt that way, that God didn't care, you are in good company. You are not alone in that feeling because that's exactly how the disciples felt. We know this because, see, we're reading from Matthew's version of the story, but we know from Mark, if you look in your bulletin, it's included there too. If you look at Mark's version of the story, when the disciples get so scared that they go and they wake up Jesus, Lord, save us, we're going to drown, they say. Mark adds a, a really significant question. One of the disciples said, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? Don't you care, Jesus? I'm going through all this stuff. Don't you care? Those are heavy words. The disciples believed that Jesus didn't care. They experienced what we experienced at the time. They experienced that struggle. They experienced these different things. They believed that God had let them down. They thought that God was going to abandon them. They thought that God didn't care. Can you feel the weight of that moment? But don't you see? Don't you see? The disciples had it all wrong. We have it all wrong. No matter how we feel or how much we think God is unconcerned or that he abandoned us or he's not listening to us, Jesus was with them in the boat the whole time. They had God at their fingertips the whole time. They could have woke Jesus up at any point. Jesus knew the storm was coming, and he didn't wait on the beach. He didn't go over to the boat and, and kick it. Oh, I'm not going to tell anybody the storm's coming, but I'm going to just hang out over here on this beach. Jesus didn't find another way around. Jesus didn't say, okay, well, I'm going to wait till the storm's over because I know exactly when that is, and I'll just walk on water and meet you later. Jesus knew the storm was coming, and he got into the boat with them. He was with them the entire time. He's with us the entire time in whatever struggles that we're facing. Hear this. Hear this. Just because God is silent does not mean he's absent. Just because God is silent does not mean he's absent. He was there. He was there the whole time. I read an article this week. That kind of explains this idea of God's silence really, really well. It kind of really struck a chord with me as I was reading it. Um, it's about the Holocaust. A guy named Eric Harish, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but I was reading the article. So, Eric Harish, um, he knew the Holocaust well. He was there, he knew what it was like to be surrounded by death every single day. Seventy years later, he goes back to this concentration camp where he was imprisoned as some type of remembrance day, 70 years after the fact. And a reporter comes up to him and says, um, ask him about his experience of what, what occurred in this concentration camp. And this is his quote. He said, I shudder every time I think of this place. I can't control the fear. When the Nazis first brought me here, I was 14 years old. I came with 185 other kids, but by the end, only two were left, and I was one of them. Now I'm 85 years old, and being here, I'm still so afraid. So the reporter asks, what gave you hope back then? What gave you hope to continue through this struggle? And, and he says, back then? Back then, 
I need hope now. Every moment when I felt like God was silent, I remember that poem, and I remember Jesus was with me. Jesus walked the grounds of that concentration camp. What's that poem that he refers to? I bet all of us know it. I bet many of us have heard it before, that poem, I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. I believe in love even when I don't feel it, and I believe in God even when he is silent. What a line. What a line. This is a man in the, one of the darkest times of history, and he knew just because God was silent, it didn't mean that God wasn't real. He knew that even though God didn't take away the storm or the struggle he was facing, he was with them in the midst of it. So what does he do? He puts a rock to a wall, and he writes out this poem. Maybe this poem was just a reminder for him, or maybe it, was, maybe it gave hope to the people who came in later or passed by it, or it definitely gave hope to people later. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he's absent. He's with you. He's with me. And if God is with me, it kind of leaves this lingering question, doesn't it? If God is with me, what's the point of the storm? If God is with me, what's the point of the storm? This brings us to the, another thing that Jesus does in the text. Look at verse 26. So the, the disciples just woke up Jesus. Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And Jesus replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Jesus says, you of little faith. Why does he say that? You of little faith. He says it because the disciples still didn't get it. The, the disciples still didn't trust who Jesus was in light of everything they had seen so far. They didn't trust that he had full control. They didn't trust who Jesus was. Look at the context of this chapter. If you just flip to the beginning of chapter 8, we got tons of stories of faith. We got a man healed um, of his leprosy. Look at verses 2 and 3 of chapter 8. He says, A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. You have a man who had a disease. And he said, if I could just get to Jesus, if I could just get to Jesus, I could experience healing in my life. And he, he goes, and Jesus is coming down from a mountainside with a large crowd. Maybe he had to make his way through the crowd. But, but somehow, someway, he finds Jesus, and he, he stretches out his hands. Oh, my gosh. Imagine the amount of pride he had to swallow. Imagine the, imagine the, the nervousness. He goes before Jesus but this expectation that he could do it. He stretches out his hands. He says, Jesus, Jesus, if you're willing, would you make me clean? And he says, I'm willing. He heals the man of leprosy. What's the next story? We see the faith of the centurion. A Roman soldier has a servant and he's paralyzed. 
He's suffering. So what does he do? He says, I need to go and find Jesus. He goes and finds Jesus. He meets Jesus. He says, Jesus, will you just come and heal this man in my home? He's, he's suffering. He's suffering. And Jesus says, do you want me to go to your house? He's like, no, 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 no. Don't come to my house. I'm not worthy to have you under my, wor- under my roof. I just know, Jesus, if you just say the word, if you just say the word, it will change something miles away, and this person will be healed. And what does Jesus say of that man? Look at verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. But it continues. Jesus heals the multitudes. Jesus heals many. Uh, He heals Peter's mother-in-law who has a fever. And then all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden, all these people, demon-possessed people, people who are sick, they find Jesus. They, they, the word is out. People are saying, if I could just get to Jesus, I could experience freedom. If I could just get to Jesus, I could experience hope. If I could just get to Jesus, I could experience healing in my life. So people go on a search. They leave things behind, and they go to find Jesus. And what does it say? Verse 16, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Why did these people come to him? They had faith that Jesus could do it. The disciples, they witnessed all of this, and now here we are, we're in the midst of this storm. They believe they can't be saved. They believe they're going to drown. They have God right there, but they haven't woken him up. They didn't think Jesus could rescue them. And Jesus comes and he says, you have little faith. You have little faith. They still didn't get it. And how do the disciples respond? Verse 27, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of man is this? That's the disciples' response. The storm revealed their lack of faith. The storm revealed their lingering questions. Jesus used the storm... Jesus used the storm to teach a lesson. Hear the good news. Jesus doesn't lead you out into the storm to drown you. Jesus was using the storm to teach a lesson. He uses the storm to teach us. He uses the storm to grow us. He uses the storm to mature us, to deepen our relationship with him. There is a purpose in the storm. There is a purpose in that struggle that you're facing. Even though the storm, the hardship you're experiencing right now, wherever that is in your own life today, whatever that, wherever that finds you, I know it doesn't feel good. I know it doesn't feel good. I'm not minimizing your pain. I know it doesn't feel good, but there's hope. God is working within it for our good. I know it doesn't feel good, but God is working within it for our good. Imagine if we really believed that. Imagine if we really believed that God was working in our, storm, in our, in our struggles in our difficulties in life, for our good. All of a sudden, God doesn't seem so far away. 
the fear, this belief that God is going to let us down is like parents checking our rooms for monsters. Why did they do that? Why do you do that as a parent? Because the, the, the kid, the child, we as children believed it was real. We believed it was absolutely true. Now we know it's not real. Now we know it's not true, but back then it was absolutely true. We concocted this thing in our mind. We believed there was a real danger. We believed it so much we trusted the lie more than we trusted what our parents said was true. My mom would come all the time into my room and she would say, I already checked an hour ago. She would say, I are, there's no monster on it, but you got to check. You got to check again. You got to check again. I believed this lie. My mom's like, there's nothing under there. I'm like, no, mom, there is. I heard it. I saw it. You got to look. We believe the lie more than what our parents said was true. And the same thing is happening with this fear that God is going to let us down, abandon us, not care about us. It's a lie. That's a lie. It's not true. Don't believe the lie more than what God says is true about himself. Hear this promise. This promise found in Deuteronomy 31.6, but it's quoted other places in the New Testament as a way of, of a reminder that God, that God is with us. God is talking to Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or what? Forsake you. Abandon you. Let me put it in a different way. Let me say this in a different way. In Jesus' words, that part of the Great Commission we often forget because we look at the making disciples part. Lo, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. God is with you. I know it's easy for, to forget. I forget it all the time. But God is with you in the midst of that, that bad news you just got. God is with you. In the midst of that divorce, God is with you. In the midst of, of figuring out the direction of your family or the direction of your life or the direction of your, your next career path, God is with you. In the midst of your stress, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of everything, God is with you. Imagine if we believed that. Our problems have a, have a tendency to pale in comparison to who's beside you. God is with you. So as we close, when the storm comes, when the struggles come, when, you, when you're hurting, when persecution and hardship ramp up in your life, remember, you aren't stormproof. Struggle is a part of life. And when you're struggling and you, and you go to God and all you experience is the silence, remember, just because God is silent doesn't mean that he's absent. He's with you. 
The storm may not feel good, but he's working within it for our good. Let's pray. Lord, I am prone to wander. I'm prone to be led astray. I'm prone to forget that, that you're with me, that you're, that you're for me. I put so much on my own shoulders, Lord. I put so much on, on my own shoulders. I try to manipulate the future. I try to manipulate problems as if you don't actually exist. I pray you meet us where we're at, God. Whatever we're experiencing right now, meet us there. Draw us close. Remind us of your truth. Help us to love you deeper. Serve you better. It's in your name. Amen.